Let's pray for Rodney as he comes. Father, we pray that uh, the things that Rodney has on his heart, that he will express those things and that you will bless him, God. We know that um, he is so, so precious and valued to us and we just pray, God, that you will bless him as he speaks. Amen. Amen. On this Remembrance Sunday, when we remember... <laughs> the tens of thousands of people who gave their lives to bring us peace, one thing stands out, and it's simply this. Peace always and only comes through sacrifice. The sacrifice of a person's life. And the person I want to speak about this morning is a man who stretched his arms out upon a cross and brought peace to people who were estranged from God. So that the scripture says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus is peace. But his peace is different from the peace that the world gives. And that's why I want to read to you some words that Jesus spoke in John 14 and verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Here, Jesus contrasts his peace with the peace that the world gives. And the great difference between the two is simply this. The world gives peace by taking away conflict. Jesus gives peace in our conflict. And that's why later on in John's Gospel, he said these words, in me you have peace, in the world you have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. In other words, around us, and sometimes within us, we have trouble. But Jesus, in us and in our circumstances, can and wants to give us peace. And the peace that Jesus gives is the ability to be at rest in the midst of conflict. And that's why this morning, I want to talk about two things. One, being in peace when you're struggling with conflict within yourself. And secondly, being at peace when you're in conflict with other people. So let's talk about being in peace when we have conflict within ourselves. There are many reasons why we find ourselves torn apart on the inside. Anxiety, fear, shame, guilt, rejection, and we could go on and on. And those things can build up within us and begin emotionally to tear us apart, to cause us to have anything but peace. So how do we find peace 
when at conflict within ourselves? How can I know peace when I'm scared stiff? How can I know peace when I'm living with rejection? How can I know peace when I'm anxious about tomorrow or the future? How can I know the peace of God which passes or transcends all understanding, which is above rational thought but becomes a living experience within our lives? Well, I would suggest that there are three things that enable us to live at peace when we are in conflict within ourselves. And the first one is this. We need to have a focused mind. Isaiah says in Isaiah 26 and verse 3, you will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And the Hebrew word for mind and and again for steadfast, mind there means imagination and steadfast means undeviating. God will keep you in perfect peace when your imagination doesn't deviate, doesn't run wild. Yeah, but what if this happens? What if that happens? What if I can't find this? What if I can't experience that? No, Isaiah says, keep your imagination from undeviating. How can we do that? Let me tell you a story. Soon after I got married, out of the blue, I began to fear that I was going to go insane had nothing to do with Pat and their marriage. (laughs) But I let my imagination run wild. And I was terrified. I'd wake up in the night with a cold sweat, thinking any moment now I'm going to go insane. I, at one point, couldn't even look at a kitchen knife because I thought I'll slash myself or Pat with it. My imagination was running wild. And what I needed to do was to get the word of God, not just intellectually in my head, but in the core, the depth of my being. And what I did was this, under the advice of someone I knew and honoured deeply, another Christian. And he suggested that I wrote out a little statement, not denying what I was afraid of, but putting in God's opposite answer to it. And so the statement ran like this for me. Every time I fear I'm going insane, that is the signal for me to know, 1 Timothy 1.7, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And three times a day, I would relax, even in lunchtime at work, and I would repeat that over and over to myself. And one day, about six months later, I suddenly realised 
I haven't been afraid of going insane anymore. Because what happened, the power of the word of God, the very opposite to my running loose imagination, had got into the core of my being. So whatever it might have been that triggered off those fears, now triggered off an absolute confidence, God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And peace to the conflict within came and was achieved in my life. And I have never in the remaining 52 years that Pat and I have been together have ever, ever feared, not even for a second, that I would go insane, which is probably a relief to the most of you here. <laughs> but what I want to say, brothers and sisters, is simply this. If you're struggling with a conflict within, let me commend to you that you make your own statement. Every time I fear or think and then put in the problem that you're struggling with and then write, that is the signal for me to know and put there the very opposite according to God's word and take it like a medicine three times a day and with a focused mind you will experience the peace of God. The second thing for knowing the peace of God is to have a spirit-controlled mind, which simply means that we live in harmony and unity with the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 6, the mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. How can we have a spirit-controlled mind? Well, by walking in harmony with him. See, far too often the Holy Spirit becomes a theological concept, an orthodox doctrine, which is all well and good, but it doesn't actually that affect your life. You may be very clever, but you may not be walking in peace and love and all those things that become the fruit of the Spirit within us. It's by listening to him. It's by obeying him. It's by setting your imagination and affections upon him and saying, I trust you, Holy Spirit, in my life. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. That's a spirit-controlled mind. A mind that thinks about wholesome things. A mind that thinks about what is pure, uh, what is noble, what is lovely, what is admirable. See, it's again bringing that imagination under the control 
of the Holy Spirit. What about if you're thinking of something immoral? May feel good to the flesh, but it's going to ruin your Christian experience. What does a mind controlled by the Holy Spirit do? It thinks upon whatever is pure. It changes the direction of its thinking and its understanding. And as we do that, when I feel anger, what is a spirit-controlled mind? A spirit-controlled mind is it thinks about what is right, not the anger that's rising within. And when we do that, Paul says, the God of peace, the God of peace will be with you. And when the God of peace is with us, what did Jesus say? Who was the son of God? My peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give unto you. Not that I'm going to take away the trouble. I'm going to give you peace in trouble. And when you think about it, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? My peace I give you. And what's going to happen to him? He's going to be beaten up. He's going to be thrashed. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be rejected. And he says, I give you my peace. Have you got peace, brothers and sisters? When was the last time you actually focused on what is pure, what is right, what is good, what is lovely, what is excellent, what's praiseworthy? How often do you actually determine to focus upon those things? And lastly, in this section, see prayer as a means to attaining inner peace. In Philippians 4 verses 6 to 9, it says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now there's two words there, pray and petition. The word for prayer simply means a general conversation as it's used in that verse. See, it's not having And don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that you are not to and don't have a special time of prayer. But this is not what this word means. This word means you're in conversation with God. And in that conversation with God, it can be any when, at any place. Because as his friend, he's always with you. And just like if you're out with any other friend, you have a conversation. So Paul is saying, 
see prayer as a conversation and God's amazing transcendent peace will keep your hearts and minds together and whole. And listen, conversations aren't one way. You've probably been with the person, you can't get a word in edgeways and in the end you're looking around to see who else could I talk, oh excuse me, I, I, I need to go over there, whether you go over there or not. So I said to someone this morning who was a little bit irritated about some conversations, I said, just see someone, don't follow this advice please, just see someone and say I've got to see them. Whether you have or not, walk away. It's easier to forgive to get forgiveness later than for your lie than what it is to endure the rabbiting on that's irritating you. Well, I don't commend that as a spiritual advice to follow, but you get the point. Conversations are not all one way. We listen. We let the other person speak. And that's what Paul's getting at when he uses this word have a conversation with God. Yes, you talk to him about anything and everything, but you listen as well to hear what he said. It would be interesting, but we're not going to do it. To ask for hands to go up the last time you heard God say anything to you. Think about that, brothers and sisters. And the word petition there means something specific arising from a want or a need. So in your general conversation with God, there comes a time when you present your needs and your wants. And all those things that we spoke about, fear, anxiety, etc. And you bring them to him within the conversation and say, I need, Lord Jesus, this. And his promise is, peace will capture your heart, your mind, your imagination. But what about when we're in conflict with one another? What about when somebody says something inappropriate, nasty, hurtful? When somebody does something to you that's upset you, we're in conflict with one another. How can we resolve that conflict and stay in peace and bring peace? Well, firstly, we've got to take the initiative. The book of Hebrews says this, make every effort to live at peace with all men. Your responsibility. Take the initiative. Make every effort. It doesn't say go away and simply have a time of prayer, though that is included. It means you go to the person and you, in peace, make every effort to be reconciled. Let me read to you the way Paul puts this in Romans 12. Because it's very misunderstood at times. Romans 12 and verse 19. 
or 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You may not be able to bring it about. As far as it's possible, live at peace. But you won't know whether it's possible unless you take the initiative. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals upon his head. It doesn't sound very nice, does it? I mean, can you imagine you've fallen out with somebody or invite them to dinner and that'll stoke up the fire on them. No, it's not what Paul's saying at all. You see, in the culture of the day, when a person was truly penitent, they would put a tray on their head and that tray would contain burning coals of fire. And they would walk through the town and everyone would know that person is truly sorry and repentant for whatever it was they had been involved in. And Paul says, if you will try to make peace with everybody, you are bringing them to a place of repentance and penitence. See, your peace is bringing that other person into peace, not into judgment. The last thing in resolving in peace air conflict with others is to maintain at all costs air unity. Ephesians 4.3 says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit creates our unity. It's our responsibility to maintain it by living at peace with one another. How do we achieve that? Well, it's quite simple, really. We refuse to dwell upon the past in our relationships with one another. There's a fantastic example of this. When Saul and Jonathan are killed in battle and news is brought to David, and David says this, in life they were loved and gracious, or as the AV says, they were lovely and pleasant. Has he gone mad? Has he lost his memory? Yeah, Jonathan, that's all true of. But Saul is lovely and pleasant when he picks up a spear and tries to drive David to the wall with it. Saul is lovely and pleasant when he hounds David through the desert and as we would say from pillar to post when he gives David's wife away to someone else Saul is lovely and pleasant David suffering from major Alzheimer's at this point lost his memory no 
He refuses to dwell upon the past and to see the good in a man that was set out to destroy him. And brothers and sisters, we need to release people from the past, not bringing it up, not talking to others about what they once did or said, and certainly never keeping them at arm's length because of a past memory, but reaching out to live in peace. And how can we do that? Well, at the Last Supper, which we will be partaking in memory of, Jesus washed his disciples' feet, including the one who would betray him. Jesus took the bread and he offered it to Judas, the one who would betray him. Jesus never never ever in Judas's presence would tell him that you are useless. Never. He talked about him when Judas had gone to fix up the betrayal. But up to that point, Jesus did everything to bring Judas in. Those outstretched arms never close, but we can walk away from the eternal hug. And when we do, we demonstrate the kingdom of God. For as Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a question of what you eat or what you drink. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. When we are at peace in ourselves and seek to live in peace with one another, the kingdom of God is on display.